do I want to be on team Jesus if this is what team Jesus looks like? Because this other team over here seems more accepting, more loving, more kind and considerate. They look far more Christ-like to me. Do you need a spiritual spark? Are you feeling run down or run over? Are you ready to eliminate the spiritual ups and downs? This is Fresh Faith in Real Life. Let's restore life in your walk with Christ. We'll dive into our featured guest interviews, biblical devotional thoughts, answers to your questions, and more. Your walk with Christ isn't meant to be a performance. It's all about relationship. Let's get to know Jesus and experience fresh faith in real life. Here's John Fugler. Welcome to episode number 11. I climbed in my studio from a snowstorm. Today, how American Idol reshaped our guests' walk with Christ. I asked the question, what's your biggest struggle when it comes to worship? A word from C.S. Lewis and John Wesley. Bet you haven't heard them much on a podcast. Uh, What to do when God seems distant and how five minutes can change the way you relate to God. I'm John Fugler on the exit ramp of the Performance Christianity Highway. I'm an author of nine books. I'm a husband, father, and grandfather of eight. But most importantly, I want to know Jesus more each day. Paul said, what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He said that in Philippians 3.8. I'm also the CEO of Fresh Faith 24-7. We lead you on a path to freedom in your walk with Christ. When you hear the word worship, what comes to mind? Hmm? What's the first thing that comes to mind when you hear the word worship? Well, I got some well-known people who have shared you know, I, I teased you, let you know that uh, John Wesley was going to be here. Kind of. C.S. Lewis, kind of. They did write some things down, so I'll say it for them. C.S. Lewis said this about worship. He said, in the process of being worshipped, God communicates his presence to men. In the process of being worshipped, God communicates his presence to men. How about A.W. Tozer? He says, God wants worshipers before workers. Indeed, the only acceptable workers are those who have learned the lost art of worship. That's pretty strong. God wants worshipers before workers. Indeed, the only acceptable workers are those who have learned the lost art of worship. Jack Hayford says this. He says, worship changes the worshiper into the image of the one worshipped. Think about that for a bit. Then there's Oswald Chambers. He said, I must take time to worship the one whose name I bear. (laughs) I must take time to worship the one whose name I bear. And then there is John Wesley, as promised, having an eye to God in every word you sing. Have an eye to God in every word you sing. That's what he says about worship. So a lot of good Deep stuff there. I should put these in the show notes too because you'll never remember them. So these are kind of the pinnacle of worship, worship statements. But, uh, you know, we have obstacles to worship. What's your biggest struggle when it comes to worship? What's your biggest struggle? Hopefully this episode will help you work through it because you'll hear some passionate words from a man who whose outward worship comes from something special within. Former American Idol finalist Phil Stacy is our guest, and I had just... An incredible interview. (laughs) Passion is the word that comes to mind, and I say that a lot during the interview. Uh, 
In past shows, our guests have shared some things from their own lives about how they've kept the fire going in their relationship with God. Like last week, episode 10, Lonnie Berger really dove into how to bring our quiet times alive. Uh, Dr. Peggy Banks, the week before episode 9, sharing what rest really is, how much we need it to survive. And I mean survive. And then I look back a bit at the interview Larry Walters did with us about how God met him in crisis. That was episode uh, episode number four, that was. Be sure to check out past episodes. There's some richness in there that'll have an impact on your walk with God. Now, back on the topic of worship, here's another question. I'm full of questions today. <laughs> so how can you keep your worship of Jesus fresh day after day? How can you keep your worship of Jesus fresh day after day? And I want to suggest a practical way to do that, and that's in the resource that draws you into seven foundational areas of the Christian life. And I wrote this resource to help you personally engage with Jesus, to renew your relationship with him, to experience that worship, that deep worship. I've talked about it before. It's called the 21-Day Fresh Faith Experience. You can have it right now. I mean now because it's a digital download. Uh, it's on my website. Just go get it. It's free. And since you, it's digital, you can have it in minutes. Don't have to have any patience. You, you, you can take it wherever you go, too. Once you have it, whatever device, just, just bring it with you. So go to my website, freshfaith247.com, and pick up the 21-Day Fresh Faith Experience. When you get there to the website, just click on 21 Days in the menu. And that's how you do it. 21-Day, go get it. And in just 21 days, for five minutes a day, you can jumpstart your relationship with Jesus you might need that right now, might need that. Here's what I cover in it. I, I cover topics like joy, faith, encouragement, prayer, courage, the attributes of Jesus. I cover rest. And when it comes down to it, worship is so important in our relationship with God. And these, these things that we, we dive into in these 21 days will help you in this whole thing of worship. One of the outcomes of worship is joy. And one of my readers said this about my devotional on joy, and I've got three of those days in the 21-Day Fresh Faith Experience. I pulled it out of my devotional on joy. And that's really important when it comes down to worship. Uh, this devotion follows the same kind of flow that this reader found. And they said this, just last week, someone asked, how can I be joyful when I'm in so much pain? Well, this book addresses that and more. Thank you for the encouragement and the resource to share with others who are struggling. This book has real-life situations, and it points us to the one who gives us our joy. Well, thank you for that comment. You can find this 21-Day Fresh Faith experience at freshfaith247.com. Again, click on 21 Day in the menu. There's also a link to this in the show notes. As a bonus, you get free membership in Fresh Faith 24-7. We're a community of believers desperate to know Jesus. Now, this 21-day Fresh Faith experience won't be available much longer. I'll be switching things out, but I want to give you a chance to get it. You might want to hit pause just to get it now. Worship. Worship is our theme. And leading into our interview with Phil Stacy, which was so powerful, uh, I thought I'd share a little bit about when God seems distant. When God seems distant, how, how do we relate to God and how do we worship God when he seems distant? We all experience dry seasons. Uh, 
in our relationship with God. Even the most faithful men and women of the Bible, and since those times went through dry times, I, every person that I that I quoted earlier on, C.S. Lewis, A.W. Tozer, uh, Jack Hayford, Oswald Chambers, John Wesley, they had times when they experienced dryness. We all do. And when I look at the word, the word of God, the famed prophet Elijah, after a huge spiritual victory, had a major flame out immediately afterwards. His, his faith shriveled and he ran away from the next challenge. Just kind of scratching our heads on that, right? He was so despondent, so exhausted that he sat under a tree and asked God that he might die saying, it is enough now, Lord, take away my life for I am no better than my father's. That's in 1 Kings 19.4, if you want to look that up and look up that whole story. When our spiritual life is painfully dry, how can we recover? How can we go back to worship? And more importantly, what can we do while we wait for the joy to return? First, I think we just need to keep praying. Just don't stop. As empty as our prayers might seem, the Lord's here. The Lord hears us. Just because we feel distant from God doesn't mean that we are. Our emotions can trick us. We might feel that we're far away from the Lord, but we're not. Our relationship with God isn't defined by how we feel. So keep praying. Secondly, I really recommend that you spend time in the Word. It's that foundation, especially studying the character of God. Now for Lonnie last week, he talked about going back to those, those friends those verses and passages in the word that he'd relied on over the years, and it's like coming home. That's a great thing to do. You could crack open the book of John. Look at the life of Jesus, God in the flesh. When you do that, it could help you view God's personal nature. So look at the character of God or go back to those familiar verses. Third thing you can do to restore the joy during a painfully dry time to go back into an attitude of worship is you can talk to a Christian friend. We're not supposed to go through these things alone. Bring your situation into the light. You never know where the discussion will lead. The Lord can use your friend to encourage you in your fellowship with God. He or she can also pray with you, continue praying for you afterwards too. We need people who will come alongside us. So don't go through this alone. And fourth, a lot of people do this, journaling. It's a good way to release our thoughts and feelings. I do that. I sometimes just start and it may be a prayer. It may be just dumping things out there, but you get a chance to put your feelings on paper or for me on my iPad. You process as you write. You might not find a solution. No, it may not happen when you journal, but but journaling might be the solution. It could be the road to get to the solution. And then fifth, another way is if you're isolating yourself, hang around with other believers. Yeah, talk to a Christian friend, as I mentioned, but other believers, more than one. We're, we weren't meant to live out our, our walk with God alone. We have to join with other believers. That's why we need to be involved in a good church and in a small group too. When we get together with other believers, God does something inside us. Church isn't our way to God, but it certainly brings freshness to our relationship with him. And it's energizing to meet with other Christians. In Hebrews, the writer says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. 
And then one last word, finally, this dry season may indicate there's, there's something between you and God. And letting it linger can poison your relationship with him. Be honest. Get it out into the open. It's no secret to God anyway, right? We think we're hiding something? Right. <laughs> Claim the forgiveness that God's promised. Enjoy a fresh start with the Lord. So just some suggestions. Ways to water your spiritual life if it's dry. It's not supposed to be a to-do list. You know, keep praying. Spend time in the Word. Talk to a Christian friend. Journal. Don't isolate yourself. Meet with other believers. You know, see if there's any sin in your life that's keeping you from the Lord. Now, it's not a to-do list. It's just a way to dive back into that relationship. I hope this springboards you as we talk further and deeper about worship with our guest in our interview. I want you to experience that richness of your relationship with God. It's not a doing thing. It's an experiencing thing. And this season of dryness, well, it'll end. God might seem distant, but in reality, he is right there with you. I promise you, he is right there with you. Well, let's go into that interview with Christian recording artist Phil Stacy, our guest. You may have been introduced to him as a finalist on the sixth season of American Idol. You may have watched him perform on The Tonight Show or even seen him as a featured artist on tours with Michael W. Smith or Natalie Grant. The guy has done a thousand concerts too himself. <laughs> He's headlined around the world. You may have seen him in concert as the headliner too. Now, his performances are, are marked by soul and passion combined with powerful testimonies that demonstrate the faithfulness of God. And in my conversation with him, it's just that way too. You are in for a treat. Uh, Phil and I met several years ago when we worked on a missions project together called the International Day for the Unreached. And when I met Phil, my first time I sat down with him, I saw his heart for Jesus. I saw his unwavering commitment. And you're going to find out why he is that way in our interview today. Uh, we also worked together on a very special song you'll hear about in the interview. And no, I did not sing. Phil did all the singing. <laughs> right now, he's a worship pastor at a church in Wichita. And oh, he goes deep with us on this, this whole topic of worship. So talk to a worship pastor about worship. I think he's going to surprise you with some of the things uh, he has to say. He'll make you think in a good way. And on top of that, we're just weeks away from the release of his first book. It's called Made to Worship, Empty Idols and the Fullness of God. Focus on the Families publishing it. Comes out March 8th. But book or no book, I wanted Phil on my podcast because of this subject of worship, and he was so gracious to give me the time. Let's dive into my interview with Phil Stacy. Well, Phil, it's so glad to have you on the show. This is awesome. Thanks for coming on. Well, it's an honor to be here. Thank you so much for having me, and it's great to see you. It's been a minute, uh, but it's so good to see you. Now, you've uh, released a ton of songs and some albums, and, and now you're releasing your first book. Uh, this is a little bit different. What does that feel like? Obviously, it's it's a completely different process than like releasing songs and and the other things that I've been involved in. I've been working with Focus on the Family, and um, Focus uh, brought me in to to kind of tell my story of you know growing up in a ministry household, uh, the process of like American Idol, um, how I got there, what that did in my life, and kind of what's been happening since. Uh, in in the field of ministry and and how that was an incredible open door for ministry around the world, and um, 
And it was fun telling the story. It was kind of surreal going back and revisiting some of these, these times, you know, we actually did research, make sure I'm getting, you know, the stories as, as accurate as possible. So we're going to do an interviews and we're, you know, I've got, I've got uh, some really incredible stories in there that, that we just wanted to make sure that, that everything was really accurate on. So it's a much longer process. We've probably been working on this book for a couple of years mm. and, um, and it's finally done, comes out in March. Um, but very excited, uh, excited about the process of doing like interviews and, and uh, putting together devotionals about it, all that stuff. It's, it's, it's very exciting. I'm so glad I caught you on the front end of this because a book comes out March 8th and you'll be right. doing back-to-back <laughs> interviews and you won't have time for me. Oh, so. yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for being here on the I've, front I've end. I've heard that it's going to be very busy, but it's <laughs> Well, exciting. good. We're rehearsing. This is rehearsal for hey, uh, all the radio on. interviews you'll be doing. <laughs> I'll take it. And podcasts. Uh, your story, the book is about your story. Let, let's go back uh, a little bit here. People may remember you as uh, American Idol finalist. That was back in 2007. Right. You're a believer. Uh, and here you are on that stage as a Christian musician thrown into a totally secular world. What was that like? Well, you know, I came out, of, I'm, I was in the Navy at the time. So uh, I did grow up, you know, very Christian home. My dad was a pastor, went to Bible school, but then I went into the Navy. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, so the adjustment like... was really easy. Huh? <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, I mean, pretty much anything that precedes the words like a sailor i i lived in that world <laughs> before i came into american idol and um and so it, it wasn't like this massive culture shock in fact my job in the navy was to sing and um and i basically sang cover songs uh, some some of the same kind of things that i did on american idol um i think up front my wife and i both kind of felt conscious of the fact that god was up to something that he was opening a door we had no idea what it was um, and I auditioned on a whim. I had a buddy who, uh, invited me to his wedding and I couldn't do it because I was going to be with the Navy at the time I was going to be deployed. And, uh, and he told me the only way he'd forgive me is if I auditioned for American Idol. Um, and that's kind of how it started. But once we made it through, once I made it through the first levels of auditions and once I made it through Hollywood week, my wife and I are just like, God's up to something here. He's going to do something through this. Well, um, how did God show up? What, what happened? Well, first of all, uh, in, in the book, you'll read about some of the, I mean, there was, there was a monumental um, maturity shift for me. Um, there was a lot of my faith that I hadn't really owned to that point. And, and so I, I went through the American Idol season. And of course, uh, as, as anyone listening can imagine, it was, it was very, all the scales of emotions. It was happy. It was sad. It was incredible. It was it was depressing. It was, you just go through all the full scale and coming out of American Idol, there's this, there's this feeling of who do I really want to be? And have I always molded my life based on what other people wanted of me? Uh, so I kind of had to go through this process of, of who am I in Christ? Um, but coming out of that, coming out of specifically coming off, off of the American Idol tour, it's like the Lord was just kind of lighting the path towards uh, coming back to ministry. So where uh, I did put out records. I put out a country record with Disney. I put out a Christian record with Sony. Pretty quickly, though, I shifted towards partnering with missionaries. And uh, we discovered that uh, the American Idol platform was an incredible open door to do concerts and outreach in areas all around the world. People who had no idea who Phil Stacy was knew what American Idol was. 
So I could go into Indonesia where it's basically illegal to proselytize and I could proselytize. (laughs) I could talk about my faith. I could talk about Jesus. I mean, they had me on Indonesian idol (laughs) and, uh, and I got to advertise a Christian concert I was doing. It was really incredible. And uh, stuff like that was happening all over the world. Doors were opening in, in uh, Asia and Europe and, and uh, it was because of this platform that God had given me. Well, and you and I have worked together in missions projects, and it's been mm-hmm. a, it's been awesome. Talk about the International Day for the Unreached, and, and right. you helped uh, on the front end to really bring that into public view and leading one of our broadcasts and, and worship in that, leading music in that. In your book, uh, and I don't have the book yet, it it's, comes out March 8th. Uh, people can pre-order it, so I'd encourage our listeners to do that. But in your book, I understand you talk about how American Idol almost ruined you. Is that, a, is that accurate? There was a crisis moment for me. When you have the entire world basically being offered to, and at the time, you know, American Idol was the biggest show in the world. It's kind of difficult to remember at this point, but back then we had nearly 40 million viewers every week. Uh, we were on the cover of every magazine. Every talk show wanted to have us on. Every label wanted to sign us. And, and you know, we're going to parties, hanging out with people like Tom Cruise or, uh, you know, going to places where, you know, there's everybody you hear on the radio is all just hanging out together in the backyard. Um, and all of a sudden, your whole world changes. It just shifts. And, and uh, it's almost like, okay, Phil, now you can do anything you want is this what you want? Is this path? Is this, you know, this, this ministry thing, is that what you want? And I did have to go through this, this time of um, consciously giving my dream to God consciously, because I can do it easily when there's really no options. You know what I mean? Mm. When your dreams aren't coming true, it's real easy to say, okay, God, you can have my dreams. But when your dreams are coming true, when everything is that you ever wanted is on the table in front of you, And you're like, okay, God, I want to make sure that you have your way in this. Because now all of a sudden, man, my way is much more obvious to me now. (laughs) What I want from my life, what I want, uh, you know, and and of course, just the world. (laughs) Like, it's, it's one thing to have like, you know, here's Christianity and here's the world. So like, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So I say the world as in its secular sense. This is a world filled with, um, you know corruption, when you're in it, it doesn't look as much like corruption. You know, you're surrounded by all these people that you thought badly of just because of something they've done that was obviously not Christ-like. Of course, if you're not a Christian, you know, you're not going to do things that are Christ-like per se, you know, but all of a sudden they're, you know, you're surrounded by these people and you're like, they're decent people. At the same time, I've got letters coming from pastors all over America telling me, like condemning me for being on American Idol. So, um, so while I feel like I'm in right relationship with Christ and I've prayed about going on American Idol, here I am, I'm on American Idol and I'm, you know, this is towards the end of the season. Um, all of the sudden I'm getting flooded with all these messages from pastors, uh, disapproving of what I'm saying. I've got people asking me to publicly, uh, tell people that I'm not really a Christian. Wow. Um, my dad was getting pressure like that from other ministers that, that were calling him and saying, you need to let people know that your son isn't living for Christ right now. And meanwhile, you know, you've got Ellen DeGeneres. She had me on her show and, and she was one of the kindest people I'd ever met at that point. Like she was very kind. She was loving. In fact, uh, the Navy wasn't about to let me go on the American Idol tour. It was Ellen that fought for me to go on the American Idol tour. So it was just a very confusing time. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, have, you know, 
do I want to be on team Jesus? If this is what team Jesus looks like, because this other team over here seems more accepting, more loving, more kind and considerate. They look far more Christ-like to me. So like, think of the story of the good Samaritan and you, and you hear about those who like, Obviously, American Idol is a very uplifting thing from the public perception. I'm getting my opportunity. I'm singing for millions of people every week. But in reality, it was brutal. It was brutal, man. You know, you, you, you sing a song that you barely know on live television in front of millions and millions and millions of people. And depending on what Simon Cowell says afterwards, you could wake up the next day and a USA Today paper sitting outside your door and the front page is talking about how bad you did. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, 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 uh, I know several people who came off of a show like that or that show in particular and fell into a depression because it's hard. You know, we're not meant for that kind of thing. <laughs> we're not built for it. And, uh, and it happens overnight. So, so in the midst of like, yes, my dreams are coming true. I also feel totally beat up. And the people who are coming to wipe my wounds are not the pastors that I'm talking to. So the, the Christians, many of them, Christian leaders kind of put you out there and shunned you. How, how, did you, how did you stay tight with Jesus during this time? I mean, well, what did you do that strengthened your relationship? Because you needed that. You needed Jesus more than ever in order to oh, yeah. live in that world. What, what did you do personally? And that was the catch is, is really understanding who Jesus was, not through the lens of other people, but through who he was through scripture and who he was through revelation. Um, I had a wife who was praying for me. You know, when I came on American Idol, I was coming from a volunteer worship pastor position. So it wasn't like I was unaware of, you know, I, you know, had personal devotions most of my life. Um, I think that I saw the church, though, as the body of Christ, but I never really saw the flaws in uh, the humanity behind it. Um, so when I was getting this rejection from pastors, I really was feeling rejection from God in a lot of ways. Mm. Um, and, uh, I think having mentors, having people that I trusted, you know, my dad and mom were very instrumental in helping me, um, because I know them and they love Christ and they, and they are prayer warriors. And, and so, you know, and I felt like I could really have those conversations with them when I was struggling and, and trying to navigate these waters. And, um, but I think at the same time, this was my journey. So when we're on the American Idol tour, and of course, all of this is in the book, it goes into way more detail, probably more detail than I wanted to go into. But, um, but I mean, I, I almost lost my marriage during the American Idol tour. It's just, you know, we had two young kids. I'm being taken around the country in a bus. Um, and my wife was not allowed to be on the bus with me. So she would follow behind when she could get on the road, which was, you know, a few days every two or three weeks. She'd get in a car and she'd follow the bus around the country and she'd be exhausted. So she'd get out of the car and she basically, here's the kids. I need you to watch them because I have to sleep. Well, I've got to go do my interviews, honey. <laughs> and, um, and it just caused like some friction. So with that happening, and then of course, you're kind of, you've got the limelight on you. So you've got, you know, other women that are kind of throwing themselves at you. And, and you've got uh, uh, this, this, spiritual haze that you're walking through because you're not really sure what's, you know, these people who would have gladly accepted you and had you sing at their church three months ago are now telling you, you know, you can't don't, you know, don't talk to any of my people online. And so and, how did you, you know, overcome no these things? I mean, you're talking about one thing, but two, th it's like, 
Oh, it's I know. One thing it's after a lot. Another, they're layered on each other and you're like in the boxing ring and man, you're in the corner and you're getting beaten up. And how did you survive? I survived from God's faithfulness, man. I mean, we always talk about God's faithfulness. Like when we get a new job, when we get a new car or whatever, but it's the darkest moments of life when God proves himself the most faithful. Cause uh, I didn't do anything stupid. I didn't end up doing anything that would cost me my future, cost me my marriage, even though I was terribly tempted to. And, um, and it, I, I still attribute it to the Holy spirit because even there's probably a two, three month period there where I wanted to, I wanted to lose my family. I wanted to, you know what, forget all this stuff. I'm going to go out here. I'm going to do country music and I'm just going to live my life. Um, but it was like, there was still a drawing towards this loving, wonderful God who was not being represented by these people, uh, who were claiming to be followers of Christ. Um, and it would draw me back into scripture and Kendra, she knew that I was kind of frustrated with what our marriage was and all that stuff, but she was still writing me pages of scriptures just to encourage me. And, uh, and I would read them. Um, and all these scriptures are just, I mean, it's like words lifting off the page of being surrounded by God's love. And ultimately I did have to make a decision. And I remember making a conscious decision when I'm at my stupidest, which is right now, <laughs> I don't want to make decisions for my life. I want God making my life decisions. And once I put that in perspective, it's super easy because then I just ask, what does God want? Obviously God does not want me to run off with another girl. God does not want me to abandon my calling from him. Uh, God doesn't want me to do music that is going to be uh, corrupted and, um, and ungodly. And, um, and so I just made the decision that that's how I was going to do it. And literally the moment I made that decision, like in my head, I'm like, I'm going to live the way God wants me to live. It's like blinders were lifted off my eyes. I think I was just under a spiritual attack. If I can call it that, I feel like there was, yeah. there was just a moment where, where I think the enemy was, was really, truly trying to destroy me. And, um, and the moment that I cried out for Christ to rescue me, it's like it lifted. And all of a sudden I saw how, how moronic it was for me to ever want anything other than Christ, because, you know, I have everything in Christ. So and how did you approach been, life differently? how did you approach, because the situation didn't change. How did right. it change the way you uh, approached life and approached others? And, yeah. and, and well, your... I'll tell you this, man. I think that I, I really, I do think that it really simplifies your life. If you just say, does God want me to do this? Hmm. Because it's, it's our actions. You know, he knows my heart behind all of these actions, but my heart is, I want what you want, Lord. And, um, and ultimately this is life is a lot more simple. If you can narrow it down to that one question, does God want me to do this? You know, uh, I think that we can, we have a tendency of following our heart on a lot of things, but the Bible says that the heart can be deceitful above all things. And God who is perfect in love actually helps to guide us, not just for our own sake, but also for our community's sake. Because if I followed my heart, there were moments I would have walked away from my family, but now my kids wouldn't have a good relationship with their dad because he ditched them. You know, hmm. my wife would have been ditched by her husband. Instead, I got to stay faithful to my wife. I, I got to stay a loving father because of God and in his perfect love, because of who I knew he wanted me to be, not who I felt like at the time because I was exhausted and I was depressed and I had no idea all of that stuff was compounding. Um, and so just putting my trust in him and saying, does God want me to do this? To me, I still do that, John. <laughs> I'm still like, you know, 
okay, John, let's, John wants to do an interview. Does God want me to do this? Certainly. It gives us the opportunity to declare his glory. I can boast in my weakness because it literally invites the power of God into, into this conversation. Uh, so I was weak. He was strong. I put my faith in him. I said, does God want me to do this? And all of a sudden, one step leads to another to where something that could have destroyed, destroyed me, the, the fame, the money that was coming at me, all that stuff that does corrupt, if you're not careful, turns into this opportunity to share the gospel over the years now with millions and millions of people. Let's, let's talk about that. I love what you said there, by the way, you know, does God want me to do this? It's just simple question, man. It's that's so theologically profound, (laughs) Phil. Right. (laughs) Isn't life easier if you just do that? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love it. Like I'm on Sunday morning. I wake up. Does God want me to go to church today? Yeah, of course he does. Nobody's going to be like, you know what? No, God doesn't want me to go to church today. He wants, he wants you to be in his presence. He wants you to be in community with people. But we, you know, we have our, our own emotions and feelings and, and, you know, things that drive us. But in reality, we're not supposed to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Uh, we weren't supposed to get on that subject on this conversation. But to me, it's like, does God want me to do this? Oh, we're going yes. to talk about that because I want to get into this. Uh, your are worship leader, <laughs> worship pastor. I want to be, I, we're going to, we're going to talk about that. But one more American Idol question, because it ties in to the platform God gave you a, a global stage for the gospel. You referred to that. Uh, tell us about some of those global experiences where you got, you had the chance to share Christ with literally the world. Man, there's countless. I think the first one was a buddy of mine uh, was a theological seminary director in Manila. And this was probably 2009. And he decided to do a big youth festival uh, called Asia Fest. And so he ended up calling me, you know, it's not like they had a big budget or anything. They're like, we're just going to try to do something for young people. And man, I had no idea how big of American Idol fans they were in the Philippines. But uh, I ended up going out there, um, could not walk around in public. People recognize me. They would take pictures. I've got photographs like uh, Scott is the guy's name. And he took a photograph when we walked into a mall one time. And the, I mean, the whole mall just started surrounding. Me. It was crazy. <laughs> but what an opportunity to let people know uh, I'm part of this festival. You should come out. And man, we get to we get to share the gospel with thousands of young people in Manila uh, just like that, you know, and, uh, I got to watch so many of them make decisions for Christ. And I've, there's, if you look on my Facebook page, my private p- Facebook page, there's probably 500 of the people, the people I met in Thailand, or uh, I'm sorry, in the Philippines, that very first trip are my buddies mm. <laughs> on Facebook. And I've gotten to watch them grow and mature. And some of them are now serving in ministry and others are, are part of that church. And they're part of the worship program, but man, just, just stuff like that is miraculous to me how he, that was an American out of platform. And that was God saying, this is what I gave this to you for. Hmm. That's cool. Uh, And you did something for a minister called Reach Beyond, where you uh, (laughs) recorded a song called Reach Beyond that was played in uh, radio stations around the country and really around the world as well. And your heart, you have a heart to take the gospel to the unreached. Tell us more about that. Yeah, it started with the missions. Um, you know, I started getting this burden for France for some reason, and I felt like, okay, God is going to, he's preparing my heart for ministry in France. And that bridged into ministry all over Europe. Um, and then I noticed 
that, you know, when you go to, when you go to France, you're driving around and there's just all sorts of like sculptures of Jesus everywhere. And, uh, and it hits me, you know, even though statistically France is a Catholic nation, but almost 80% of the, of the mass attending Catholics in France claim that they're actually agnostic. They're, they're a very post-Christian culture or whatever, but all of a sudden there's this kind of revival happening in France that I'm watching. Um, but it hits me that there's actually, there's, there's many, many, many places on earth that nobody has ever heard the gospel enter reach beyond. You know, I get, I get invited to sing this song. Uh, they're part of the Alliance for the unreached. I get to do all sorts of other research on like, how do we reach unreached people groups? And so I start making a mission of like raising money and, and helping. Cause obviously I'm not, an, I'm not a linguist expert, but like, for example, reach beyond, what do they do? They provided radios that they would provide the gospel <laughs> through a native language in an area where they've never heard the gospel, just a friendly, a friendly way for people to hear who Jesus is mm-hmm. hearing about some of the miracles that happened through reach beyond and, and through some of these other ministries where, where people were on the edge of suicide. And all of a sudden they heard the gospel being shared on a radio that was dropped by reach beyond. And, and all of a sudden Jesus saved them and they became this, this witness for his love. Um, you know, suddenly I start these scriptures start really bouncing out at me about, you know, the gospel will be, claim, be proclaimed to all these nations. And then the son of man will come. And I'm like, man, we've got our work cut out for us. And as, as uh, we live in a, in a world that is globalized, we've never probably ever been in a position in human history to reach the entire planet. Like we are right now. Let's do this. Let's let's, as a church, let's start putting our focus towards that. I actually created uh, something called the missions coalition where we were just trying to raise money and give it to organizations that were reaching unreached people groups. And we, you could just watch these, uh, these uh, people groups be checked off and you'd see the list just keep going down and down. And, and uh, we still got a long way to go, John, as you know, and I'm sure your audience knows there's a long way to go. And if the church would unite behind this cause of sharing the gospel of the great commission, (laughs) you know, then it would be done in a, in, in a matter of maybe months, (laughs) You know, I mean, if we could just unite behind that common cause. So let's take a break. You see why I wanted Phil on the show? (laughs) Oh, it's time. Let's let's breathe a little bit as I do on these breaks and just ask you, well, how's God working in your heart so far? What's the Holy Spirit doing, huh? And this whole thing of worship, what's he doing as you hear Phil's testimony? uh, Can you relate to some of that? Uh, Probably not the American Idol part. No, but I mean, what's God doing in your heart? I... I think you you should really ask him to show you something about how to connect with him better. Okay, ask him about that as we continue the interview, see how he works in your heart. And remember the 21-day Fresh Faith Experience. I want to give that another plug right now. It can help you in your walk with God in this whole worship experience. So make sure you go download it at freshfaith247.com. You click on 21-day in the menu. Phil and I went even deeper in this whole thing of worship and his story. And let's go to part two right now. Your book is entitled Made to Worship. Made to Worship. Why that title? Um, well, I wish I could tell you that I created that title because of it. It was actually focused on the family decision. And I think it's because the story is um, it's, it's about my life, going through ministry, going through. I, I think it's probably the revelation of uh i wasn't introduced to music as an 
entertainment form. That wasn't how I was introduced to it. It wasn't like we were listening to M- Michael Jackson on the radio. I was about to say MJ on the radio or anything like that. I was raised in a home where music was an offering. Um, and then, of course, you know, you go through school and you go through college and you go through the Navy and you go through American Idol. And, and suddenly it's really kind of a, about uh, the entertainment of it. But in reality, I don't feel fulfilled. The only times in my life that I truly regret are times <laughs> that I wasn't that I wasn't prioritizing the Lord. Um, and what that tells me is that when I am prioritizing the Lord and I'm living my life for him, I have a fulfillment. Uh, that's my personal experience. That makes it easy to share the gospel when I'm like, yeah, I can see how the gospel has affected my life. It made me free. It also, you know, gave me, gave me purpose. And that purpose is to worship. I get to worship and fellowship with my amazing God and, um, and basically fellowship with him every day all day. We've done a few events together over the years. So I've seen it personally, how you lead worship and get into, it's almost like you can go into worship mode instantly. That's what I've observed. Yeah. <laughs> how, did, I don't know if you realize that, but you do. So I want to ask, how does that happen? How do you get into worship mode? So, so easily, so quickly. Because worship isn't a song, right? I was worshiping God by walking into the room. I was worshiping God by fellowshipping with the brethren because he wants us to do that. He wants us to have community. That's an act of worship. Um, So when we start singing a song, we're already there. I already feel God's joy over me. I already feel his presence um, celebrating over me. And and I want to worship him because my worship isn't, it's not just an offering. It's a response. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just a response of knowing him of the gratefulness that I get to be in that room with you. (laughs) I get to be in that place where we're going to unite our purposes behind reaching unreached people groups or whatever. Um, So to me, even this, even talking about him, glorifying him right now on this podcast is an act of worship. Um, So I guess that would be how I can switch it on so fast is because I'm trying not to lead it. It's like you're already there. (laughs) <laughs> right. I'm yeah. trying not to leave it. I, yeah, I love, I love what Lord. you're saying about that because we look at, um, and my son reminded me of this. He says, you know, when we're in church, it's, it's not, the music isn't the only worship. We, we worship as we listen to the word. We worship as we give, we worship as we fellowship. So worship, like you're saying is a part, the music is mm-hmm. just a part of it. You know, I, I've, I've heard a lot of people say, and I used to say it, you know, let's invite the presence of God. The presence of God is there. He came in with us. <laughs> you know, what did Jesus say? He said, the Holy Spirit has been with you. Now he will be in you. When we're born again, we're born of the spirit of God. So when I walk into a room, God is going into the room. with me. Uh, and he said, when two or more are gathered, I am there in the midst of them. So there's something special that happens when we come together. I like to think of songs really not as inviting God into the room as much as inviting our awakeness of his presence, our oh, awareness of his presence with us. Cause when I'm singing to him, all of a sudden it's like my, my spiritual eyes are open to the fact that he's moving among us. He's doing something today. He's brought us here for a purpose. Um, so I do think music has a great role to play in the worship service, but I completely agree with your son. Um, when you give in the offering, that's an act of worship. When you, when you receive the word, when you receive it with the heart uh, that it's from the father, you know, this is, this is boring that you're hearing from a preacher who's actually biblical, <laughs> but if you're hearing it from the father, um, that's an act of worship. Um, 
but I do like, obviously I have a tendency to, to, to gravitate towards music because I love music. Sure. You know, and I, you've I been a worship pastor now, a music worship pastor for, for several years. And what do you mm. enjoy about it? Um, well, you know, the Bible, there's, there's, there's more than 50 times when he's asking us for a song, you know, sing a new song to the, you know, there's, there's a, there's something special when Jesus was in the, the garden with the disciples, he was singing hymns when the, on the night he was betrayed, Jesus was singing hymns. I, I think we never hear anybody preach on that, but it's, it's factual. <laughs> and, uh, there's something special about music. And for me, if you remember that old movie chariots of fire, there's a guy in it that, that talks about how he's like, he's like, I can feel God's pleasure over me when I run. And I feel that when I sing, you know, and I sing, um, to the level of excellence I'm capable of for his glory. And my practice time is for his glory. Uh, my rehearsal time is for his glory. My performance time is for his glory. And I can literally feel the presence of a heavenly father who just loves the fellowship because it's not just me giving to him in the same moment he's giving to me. He's giving me joy. He's giving me peace, you know? So, um, and then you uh, have the congregation into about. it where you're, you're worshiping, but also you're leading them in, in worship at the same time. Yeah. I, I've, I've said that to my church. I've literally said, you know, I'm not singing for you people. <laughs> <laughs> We're singing for him. And if I get the idea that you're not participating, I'll stop singing. I'll let you take over. I can hear it. Like if people like start, you know, cause when you're proficient at something, people like to observe. So like, if you're a great singer, people want to sit and listen to you sing. Um, and that's the danger. I think today's church has to fight through that in order to truly worship God together. Um, you'll hear everybody just stop and they're like, wow, listen to that piano. Or, wow. Listen to that voice or whatever. And if they do that on my watch, I'll stop. Mm. I'll just stop singing. And, and all of a sudden you, you, you're like, oh, I surrender all, you know, they feel it like, oh, I have a responsibility here. I'm going to start singing. And, um, I think it's very important we do it corporately uh, as, as an act of worship together. You've done a lot of touring. Are you still going out and touring in music? Not as much. I mean, ever since the pandemic, uh, you know, 2020, there was basically no touring. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I just kind of, you know, really concentrated on creating music for the church and uh, specifically my church. <laughs> and um, I mean, I've, I've done some stuff. I always have like, uh, invitations to go to different churches or different festivals. Um, I've done some partnering, you know, there's a, there's an organization called family promise that does a lot with, with homeless families. It helps home people, families specifically that are uh, facing homelessness. And so what I'll do is I'll go into areas where they have a family promise where they've got, you know, they're taking care of all these families who are in the worst part of their life and I'll do a concert and it'll raise money to fund their mission. Um, I love that, that, that seems like a valuable expenditure of my time. I've gotten to do several things for focus on the family since they decided to do a book with me. Now they have me coming and singing at events. Yeah. You're good. Um, Now with the book, that'll get you, you'll be just doing some touring with that for sure. Right. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) But I've definitely slowed down. And, and John, I just recently, as you know, um, I just switched churches. So I've, I've been in Kansas city. Um, and I just, I just got brought on at a church in Wichita, Kansas, where I, it's a mile from the house that I lived in really? when I was in high school. Really? Uh, so it's like, uh, I'm, I'm, I've got one of my old, uh, high school English teachers is in the choir. 
I've probably run into 50 of my high school buddies, parents, <laughs> it, it, you know, in, in my time there, but it's like God is sending me back to the community I came from uh, to do ministry, which is really, really refreshing and, and challenging. Um, but because of that, you know, you, those big shifts, you kind of slow down your touring during those things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, who knows what God will have for you as you enter this new season. That's uh, right. I, I want you to, one of the things that there, there were some life change moments in your life. One of them was that whole American Idol season. And, and I didn't know what you had said earlier about um, that sudden moment where God turned you from the darkness to the light when you asked him, should I be doing this? And right. what's your will in this? That, that's a big one. But you had an incident as a teenager that almost cut your life short. And we wouldn't be talking to you here today if, uh, if that had happened. Tell us about that. I know it was a life-changing moment for you. Well, yeah, I, I, I worked as a server at a place called Village Inn, Pancake House. If you're from the Midwest, you might have heard of it. Um, but I came home on a Sunday night. Uh, and uh, this particular Sunday night, you know, we had Sunday night church at my church. And, and it was literally right next door to my house because my dad was the pastor. And he lived in the parsonage. Um, and I rolled up into the driveway. And uh, I had one of those garages you had to get out of your car to open. And so I get out of the car, I go to open the garage and all of a sudden I hear somebody running behind me and I turn around and there's a masked gunman and, uh, and he puts a gun to my head and he's telling me to get away from the car and all this, you know, but I, I really felt like he was going to kill me. Um, and I, I think the quick story is, is I just kind of closed my eyes and I prayed for my parents and for my, my siblings and for my community. Cause I, I thought about how sad it's going to be for them that they're, you know, my, my mom and dad are going to come out of church and find their son on the driveway. Um, but, uh, I'm, I'm kind of closing my eyes and time is rolling. Finally, I open one eye. Cause I'm like, is he going to get on with this or what? Cause I'm starting to get a little nervous here. <laughs> and this guy is just shaking in front of me and, uh, he's looking above me and slowly backs away. He gets into the car and he drives off. So he did steal the car. Um, but I draw, I, I run across the parking lot cause now I'm locked out of my house. I took off with my keys. I had to get into the church. And when I get into the church, I find my entire church, the whole attendance is in the all they're in the altar. And they, it turns out they're praying for me Wow! in the moment that there's a man with a gun to my face. My church is in the altar praying specifically for me. My mom had stood up in the middle of the worship service tears in her eyes. She's like, I just got a burden for my son, Philip. Can we pray for him? And she was standing there and they were all praying for her as if for me. And, um, so when I walk into the sanctuary, one of the guys is like, Oh, well, there he is right there. And then they tell me about how they just randomly started praying for me. And I was like, well, what a coincidence. You won't believe what just happened to me. <laughs> um, but, uh, we ended up calling the police and the FBI. FBI came to our house. So what ended up happening is there wasn't just one guy. They had left another car around the corner uh, because they come up through Texas and Oklahoma into Kansas and uh, they had stolen several cars and they killed everybody else they'd stolen the car from. I was the only one that they left alive. And uh, so I, I, this ends with me, my suspicion that the guy saw an angel protecting me or something because he looked terrified when he left. And that's one of the research things that we had to work on was finding where those guys were because they're still in prison because they were they pled guilty to multiple homicides. Um, they ended up before they got to Kansas City, they pulled over and turned themselves in. Um, so something miraculous happened in their life, too. But 
Um, but I know that God protected me for, of course, the purpose that he had for me. How old were you at the time? Um, I was 17. Okay. So 17 years old and this happens is traumatic. Yeah. And you know, your, your life, the course of your life has been changed. Right. It had a lasting impact then. Well, how did it, how did it change your you know, future? It's your funny. I, it did obviously had a lasting impact because you, you suddenly feel a little bit invincible as long as God is on your side. Cause you're like, you know, there was a murderer with a gun to my head with the intention of pulling the trigger and he wasn't able to pull the trigger. Um, but in reality, I was more like the children of Israel, John, I was more like where, you know, they get to see the red sea part and walk across on dry land. And then the very next day they're whining about how they don't have any food in the wilderness. Um, so the very next day I went and I, I bought a gun from a buddy in high school to protect myself in case they came back as if God wasn't going to protect me. Hmm. And that did kind of lead me to th- feeling like an idiot. Cause I was like, wait a second, you know what? I don't need this. I, I don't need protect. I've got God to protect me. And when he's done with me, he's going to take me home. And, um, and that's, that's carried, that's carried me. I just said that the other day we were driving down the road with somebody and, and they were making a joke about how I was a bad driver. And I was like, well, you're fine. Cause you're in a car with me and God's not <laughs> done with me. So, (laughs) so you're safe right now, man. Um, I have that mentality. I figure whenever he's done with me here, he's going to bring me home. John, heaven is going to be way better than this. Hmm. Eternity is going to be better than this. We're on assignment here. We're living in a corrupted world. And um, it's, it's like the imagery for me is we're like a child in a viper pit. And the Lord can't wait to rescue us from this. I believe that like my dad passed away a couple months ago and, um, and the peace that, that I experienced in the midst of this, because my dad and I are very close. Most of my stories have something to do with my dad. Uh, we talked every day. Um, but the peace that, that just rested on me in knowing, like just imagining the colors he's seeing, imagining the sounds he's seeing. Because it's not, to me, it's not, I wonder if he's in heaven. You know, it's like, I know, I know that there is a place that Christ has prepared for us and that my dad uh, to be absent from the bodies, to be present with him is what Paul said. And, uh, my dad is in God's presence and the fullness of his presence an uncorrupted, uh, presence of God. It's incredible. And, um, I think when he's done with us, John, he's just going to take us home. I don't think he's going to leave us here for no reason. I don't think he's just going to leave us here to, in this corrupted world just for our benefit because God knows what's waiting for us. And he, and he said, no, I has seen. And no ear has heard, nor has it entered the heart of man, this amazing, glorious thing he's prepared for us. And, uh, and um, so I think until he's ready to bring me home, I'm pretty much safe. If I'm safe from the guy's bullet, I'll be safe from everything else as long as God wants me here. Well, our days are numbered. Our days are numbered. They're numbered. God has it is appointed so. unto man once to die. So, so, so that incident do, when you were 17 has that. left you fearless. Uh, it seems kind like. of, <laughs> but uh, yeah. And I, I mean, uh, I don't just go around eating cheeseburgers all day or anything, you know, I'm trying to be a good steward of I can know, see. I can the see resources that. God gives me. Yeah. Uh, and, and I did want to ask you about your dad and I just thank you for sharing what you did that just uh, the depth of your faith, because that's faith in real life. We can talk about these things, but just a couple months ago, losing your dad, it shows us how deep our faith is, how we're walking with Jesus, yeah. uh, how much we do believe his word and the depth of your faith coming through in that, that real life situation. Let me just ask one more question here for our listeners. 
uh, so much going on in my mind, firing off in my head right now. And I'm sure our <laughs> listeners too, but um, share with our listeners some, some keys to worship from your own life that you'd like to communicate with them that they could adopt in their life. Cause the whole focus here this, this week is, is worship. Share some things mm-hmm. with our listeners. Um, worship starts with humility. It has to start with humility. It has to start with an understanding of the wonder of a God who is uncorrupted, reaching into a corrupted world to save you <laughs> and recognizing that you needed it, that you needed saving. Um, there's this, there's this brief scripture, this, this holdover line, and they're talking about slavery. And, and I think it's in uh, Leviticus and it talks about how someone who is a slave, um, if you want to bring them into to your family, or you want to bring them into your family, you have your son marry that slave, but they are no longer a slave, but now they are part of your family and a joint heir. It's just this one little holdover. And it blows my mind because, uh, you know, one of the ways that you can be a slave through the history of slavery, you can be sold into slavery, you can sell yourself into slavery, or you can be born into slavery. And all of us can recognize that we were born into slavery. Nobody had to teach me to lie. Nobody had to, had to teach me how to be corrupted. I was born a slave. And then God Almighty purchased me, but didn't just purchase me as a slave, but instead called me the bride of Christ, which means that I'm being brought into the family, a joint heir with Jesus. Um, we, as his church, are the bride of Christ, not, not in the way that we think of it in like a physical human marriage thing. Jesus talks about that. He's like, in heaven, you're not going to be married nor given in marriage. But to him, what we're doing is we're being adopted as children. And when you wrap your mind around that, to me, worship is the natural response. So it starts with humility. And to me, it ends with belief. You believe God. You stop being wishy-washy. You say, I have made a choice. I'm going to follow Jesus. Because when you don't make that choice, when you decide I'm going to follow Jesus today, but I'm not tomorrow. I'm going to follow Jesus with this decision, but not the next decision. You don't get to experience the fullness of his glory. In order to experience the fullness of his glory, you have to reckon, you have to be his, his subject. You have to let him be Lord. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, if you don't obey me? Um, and, uh, but when you, when you do come to that point of humility saying, I needed to be saved, Christ is my savior. Now I'm a joint heir with Christ. I'm a child of God clothed in the righteousness of Jesus himself. So it's, it's not me earning this righteousness. It's Jesus literally wrapping his righteousness around me and God looking at me and seeing his son. Um, that brings me to a point of joy. It brings me to a, a point of, I want to, I want to glorify you, God. And see, I've, I've been the beneficiary of, of, uh, Having lived, I needed that experience after American Idol John uh, because I had lived a pretty good life. <laughs> and all of a sudden, almost stepping away from my resolve to follow Christ, almost stepping away was so easy for me to see uh, that that depression waits there. Misery awaits there. Um, it doesn't matter how successful I am. It doesn't matter how much money. I was surrounded by successful rich people in Hollywood that were absolutely miserable. And we see him in the tabloids all the time. People checking themselves into rehab and everything. Well, in his presence, I am complete. I feel it. I feel the completeness of joy in my life. I feel the completeness of peace. 
And I feel the completeness of faith. Um, and it starts with humility and it ends with just believing God. I believe he is who he said he was. You know, don't, don't turn your eyes to the left or to the right. Just focus on him and your worship will be a natural response to who he is. Because he is wonderful, John. He is amazing. He does love us. And when you get in a position like you are, and I am, where you are serving him, it changes everything because now all these people, these this vast multitude of people out here in this world who you couldn't have cared less about yesterday are now the most important thing in the world because you absolutely experience God's love for them. Mm -hmm. Complete and utter strangers. It is his presence in your life that does that. Mm -hmm. um, and man, I want to worship him because he loves people so much. Bill, thank you so much for sharing those thoughts. I'll tell you. Your passion comes through over and over again, and uh, the depth <laughs> of your walk with him. So grateful. Uh, we're going to have some links in our show notes. One to your website, philstacy.com. Uh, you keep your uh, tour schedule in there, news and yes, updates. Yes, sir, I do. Okay, mm -hmm. so that's a good place to go. Also, your Facebook page. We can be one of those friends. You got that's 500 right. of your best friends from the Philippines who started from the Philippines, a, bro. So now you got a few more than 500, right? Come on. <laughs> So we can, uh, we can find you there and also have a link uh, to your book coming out March 8th. Uh, and that we'll put a link in the show notes. You can pre-order that made to worship empty idols and the fullness of God. After talking to you now, I know why the subtitle is empty idols and the fullness of God. That's perfect because <laughs> you've talked about that here in our time together. So uh, God bless you and uh, may the Lord use you and help you in your adjustment there into Wichita back home. Uh, and your new I church. Appreciate it, man. And also as you launch into this, uh, you're going to be doing a book tour and some singing. That's right. We'll pray for your busy, busy life. <laughs> <laughs> Take care. Thanks so much to Phil Stacy for coming on the show. And uh, boy, be sure to go visit his website, philstacy.com. I'll have a link in the show notes. You can listen to some of his music. Uh, you can order his book there, pre-order his book. Comes out March 8th. Uh, and get to know Phil a little bit more. I think you probably know him uh, <laughs> pretty deeply right now through the interview, but check it out. Check out his website. I like to wrap things up with one thing, the one big point you come away with, because there was so much in the interview with Phil. I could have picked a number of things, but what I picked out of this, one thing is that everything we do can and should be worship, everything we do. And notice how Phil says it starts with humility. Whew, that really spoke to me. I've got a long way to go. I need to practice humility. I need to practice this worship thing. I really thought I, I was a good worshiper. I mean, I'm not that bad, but when I think about it, when I really dwell on what Phil was talking about, some of those things, I need to go back and begin working on some things myself. I've got another question for you. I've asked you like five of them in this podcast so far, but this is one I want you to, to camp on and, and leave with you is how will you apply today's show to your worship experience? How will you apply today's show to your worship experience? It's always good to write it down. What's your answer to that? Write it down or even tweet me. I'd like to hear what you have to say. Tell me how you'll apply today's show to your worship experience. You can tweet me at John Fugler, at John Fugler. Let's talk about it. If you write it out, you're more likely to do it. Hmm. Here's another big question. <laughs> another question. Is there something missing in your relationship with God right now? Phil was really honest about his life. 
He was really honest about what we need to be looking at in our own lives. And as we said at the beginning of the show, do you need a spiritual spark? Maybe your worship is nowhere near the passion Phil showed us. Not all of us are that way. So don't compare yourself to Phil Stacy. But could you hear the depth of his relationship with God? That's really what it comes down to, that depth of relationship. I think the 21-day fresh faith experience that I've talked about can light a fire in your heart. Access it now. Download it. Get started at freshfaith247.com. Click 21-day. It's a resource I want you to have. And then be sure to share this episode with a friend. Will you do that? Christians need to hear what Phil had to say. And then you can discuss this episode together. Don't just let it sit there on your device, but bring it to life. Have a discussion about it. Let's move out together in this relationship with Jesus. And I'll see you next Wednesday as another compelling guest shares fresh faith in real life.